Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, brain-based, trauma-informed social-emotional learning program. Uniquely, it integrates social-emotional learning, discipline, and school culture into one holistic approach. Its worldwide success, I believe, is based on the fact that we address the needs of the adult first and the children second. Today, we're talking about the differences between consequences and punishments, specifically as it relates to high school. I know we've talked about this before, and we'll probably continue to talk about it, but this is in regard to high school students. Now, sadly, we use these two words interchangeably and certainly have confused them in practice. So I looked them up. Consequence comes from Latin and modern French word meaning that which follows from or grows out of an act. So it's almost like the effect of something. It also has another meaning, which is something of significance of importance that happened after an event. Whether you're eating vegetables or eating ice cream, something significantly important happened The legal definition of punishment is the infliction of some kind of pain or loss upon a person for a misdeed. Some synonyms of punishment are retaliation, revenge, and vengeance. I'm asked over and over again, where are the consequences in conscious discipline? My answer remains the same. They are everywhere, every day. Conscious Discipline's goal is to learn, to help people learn from our mistakes, to grow from taking responsibility for our actions, and to be accountable to learn new skills to enhance our ability to live our highest values. Conscious Discipline helps us become aware of the effect of our actions on ourselves, each other, and the culture in which we live. It helps us move from blame to responsibility, which allows us to experience the consequences of our actions in order to learn from our mistakes and embrace new perceptions and actions. So what I think people are really asking me when they say, where are the consequences? They're really asking, where are the punishments? When do we retaliate on children for their disrespect? When do we seek revenge on children for being bad? And when do we pour vengeance all over kids for making poor choices? The answer, my answer, is never. Never in conscious discipline. That's our goal. Now, do we do it? Sure, because we're human and we're not perfect. But punishments are removed from conscious discipline. Consequences are embedded in every moment. Conscious discipline is brain-based, and neuroscience shows the impact of punishment and fear of punishment on the brain. So what happens with that fear of punishment or that retaliation or that impending doom is that it inhibits our ability to self-regulate and almost guarantees that change in our behavior is impossible because it moves our nervous system down into a fight-or-flight situation, cutting off the higher centers of our brain for any learning. And so that's the short reason of why we removed it. So growing up, I remember 
a very few times, and I'm going to say three or four times, my parents actually spanked me. I remember one time we got a switch. My brother and I did something so horrible that we got the ever-loving switch. However, interesting enough, neither I or him can remember what we did, what the situation that caused it, what happened after it. All we remember is the switch. Over time, teachers working with young children, to some degree, have been able to shift from punishments to using consequences. However, the older the child gets, we get into this, they ought to know by now. And that certainly carries into high school when everyone believes, you know, you're 14, you're 15, you're 16. You should know by now. So let's listen in to Steve Hummer. We've asked him back, a certified instructor of conscious discipline, to share with us his thoughts about consequences and punishments in high school. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve Hummer. I'm a husband to a wonderful, caring, loving wife, Julie, who actually introduced me to conscious discipline. I'm a dad to two amazing, strong, intelligent, beautiful daughters, Madison and Savannah. I'm a high school social studies teacher who's been in the classroom now. I'm in my 13th year. And I'm a conscious discipline certified instructor. And I am so honored to be here today to share with you about choosing consequences over punishments in the high school classroom. After uh, I started my first podcast, I was thinking, well, where do I go now? What else can I share? What, what's the most important thing? What do I want to get out there? And it kind of came to me in a couple ways. First, after that podcast was released, I was actually contacted by a former student who had heard it and had talked about a class she was taking uh, at my alma mater, James Madison University, about emotional disturbances in class and an article she had read and how a teacher had approached it differently uh, and, and, and attra- approached the students differently who were, having, who were being disruptive in class and how valuable that was to her and how she enjoyed the podcast and what I was saying. And it made me think, you know, I need to maybe go a little deeper into that. Um, another reason is, you know, shortly after that, it's almost like fate, I guess, but uh, I got an email. I was introduced to a, a K-8 through principal, Corey from Kansas, who kind of had those same questions and wanted to know, how do we get our staff, especially the, the middle school, the 6th through 8th graders, the teachers, uh, how do we get the buy-in? How do we, you know, they, they, it's harder to see as you're looking at the books, uh, the conscious discipline books, it's hard for them to see the implementation, like what does it look like? Because that, those examples aren't out there. And I said, yeah, they're, they're not. So I, I, you know, I'm trying to, we're trying to do that now. But in the meantime, you know, people want to know, how do we do it? So you know, as long as I've been around conscious discipline now for the last seven years, the one thing that I hear in, at, from every level, whether it's preschool, pre-K, uh, elementary school, or, and then definitely up in the upper levels, high school, is, well, where are the consequences? Where are the, where are the punishments? How do we... You know, what do we do? What if they don't do these things? What if they don't carry follow through? And it's funny because they're there. They're built in. But unlike a lot of programs, conscious discipline, you, you have them be natural. There are things that just will happen naturally or logically. They're not arbitrary punishments. They're not just, 
hey, I'm going to grab something out of the sky because I know it'll hurt you. And maybe by hurting you or making you feel pain, (laughs) that will get you to behave the proper way. Conscious discipline's not about that. So that's why I think this is such an important one to touch on today. So one of the things, especially at the high school level, we get is, well, where are the, where are the punishments? You know, there have to have, we have to have punishments or students won't follow through. They won't change your behavior. And I think of that and I go, well, that's not really true. In my classroom, I, I don't punish. Uh, I don't do it in a lot of ways. Uh, and I'll explain that in a moment. But I, in 13 years, I think I have written a handful of referrals to the main office. And none of them have been for behavior. None have been for behavior. The only time I write a student up is if it's a safety issue. And for me, that means they're not in my classroom when they should be, and I want them accounted for. And I write them up and I contact the office because I want somebody to know where that student is. It's not because I want them to get in trouble. I'll touch on that in a minute as well. But it's because I want to know that they're safe. Um, We got to make sure these kids aren't off hurting themselves. My biggest concern is that. I want somebody aware that a kid who's supposed to be with me isn't here, and then I want somebody to find out why. Where are they? Do they need help? Somebody should find them. So that's it. And so I've written a few kids up, you know, a handful of kids uh, in, in my 13 years, and a lot of times what we get is that they get punished. Uh, a kid skips my class. The punishment for skipping my class is that they'll get in-school restriction, which means they'll come in for the day, but instead of going around to the classes, they go to a room, and in that room, they're meant to make up work. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So the punishment, the punishment for a student missing my class is for my student to miss more of my class. Well, that doesn't quite work, and it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's just a punishment for the sake of punishment. It's trying to deter them from doing it again and again. But what we find, and if you ask any teacher or administrator, does it truly deter students? Yeah, a few, a few. But for most students, that's not a deterrent. A lot of students actually like going to in school. They like not being in the classroom. Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe if we took a few moments and got to know our students, we built that community, sense of community, we don't have those problems because we understand why the student's not in the room. We understand why they don't want to miss the class, why they skipped. Now, look, a lot of times students might not be in class because their friends are, it's a sunny day, and it's the first warm day of spring, and their friends are going to go do something, and it sounds like fun, and they make a bad choice, and they go have fun. Okay, well, that's going to happen. But maybe it's because of something else. Maybe it's because they don't feel like they're valued in the classroom. Maybe it's because there's a relationship issue between them and another student. Or maybe it's because there's a relationship issue between the teacher and the student. But for some reason, that student didn't want to be in the room, so they chose to not be here. Okay, so there should be a consequence to that. The consequence would be something where it's logical. That student has to come to my class, and then we're going to have to talk about what it is and and try to problem solve. One of our biggest problems is we don't want to spend the time to problem solve in the high school classrooms. We feel like we don't have time. We got too many kids. The kids are bigger. They're very disruptive. They use social media to be disruptive. They're loud. Uh, They'll get up and do things. Yeah, they will. And it's the same as elementary school kids. They're just bigger, and there's more of them in a room. 
And I know that can be intimidating to a lot of teachers. I think one of the biggest things that I had to learn as a teacher and as a parent, I'm still learning this, is you can't take it personally. As Becky says, it's Q-tip, Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. Students who are acting out and acting out towards you, especially in the high school room, they're not doing, it's not about you. It's truly not about you. It's about the relationship you may have with that student or the lack thereof. But truly, when students are acting out in our classrooms, it's usually there's something else going on. It's an outside factor. They're stressed. Maybe it's the work. Uh, they don't understand. And the way for them to try to get that attention or to deflect from that is to act out. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe they're having a problem at home. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. But a lot of times, instead of taking the time to say, well, what's going on? You know, are you okay? Can I help you with something? What do you need? We say, get out. Go to the office. Uh, you're getting attention. I'm going to send you to end school or detention. You know, I'm going to remove you from this environment because I have to move on. Well, in doing that, what do we tell that student? That one student, you're not valuable. You're not valuable to me. Everybody else is valuable you're not. You're not. So we can send you away so that the rest of us, the ones that matter, can stay here and learn. Hmm. I wonder how that makes that student feel. Because if you think about it, what are they feeling at that moment when they feel like, you know, I, I'm a, you know, they don't want me here. I can be sent out at any moment. Where's that sense of connection and belonging? And a lot of times for students, what does that start? It starts this, I'm the bad kid. And everybody looks at them, oh, here we go again. This student's acting up. They're going to get sent out. Oh, yeah, of course they are. They're the bad kid. You know? So that stigma starts. And that student, and a lot of times students will internalize that. They'll hang on to it. And that becomes who they are. That's their, that's their persona. So to everybody else, they, that's the behavior that's expected of them. So that's what they do. One of the things I love about conscious discipline is this idea that you get more of what you focus on. And that includes behavior. If you focus on the bad things that a student's doing or the behaviors that they're doing, you're going to get more of them because they just build. And that student starts to internalize, and that's who I am, and that's what I am. And, boy, you're going to get more of it, and that kid's going to continue to act out. Whereas a kid acts out, you go over to them. You don't yell across the room. You don't make a scene in front of the whole class. But you go get them, and you walk over to them, and you say, hey, what's going on? You don't typically act this way. Most days you're very helpful. Most days you're very focused. You participate in the conversation. and you. So I feel like something, something must be wrong. Did something happen? How can I help you? What can I do to help? You step in and you do that. All of a sudden you have taken a situation that really wasn't about you or your class in the first place, and now you're helping the student try to problem solve. You're helping them find a solution so that the behavior is fixed. The behavior, that, that, that thing that you don't want, has been stopped. And now you're helping them learn how to get around that next time, how to cope with whatever that is, or know that they have the ability to speak to you and, and work it out and find a solution. And they're in a place where they're safe. And there's not punishment, but there's somebody there who's willing to work with them to come up with a solution. And most importantly, you help that student learn how to calm. 
because the biggest thing in the classroom that we need to get to is teaching students how to calm themselves. In a huge classroom with high school students and a lot of activity and a lot going on, a lot of times that's difficult. Students don't feel like they can calm themselves. They don't have that skill. And what happens is when they act out, then all of a sudden the room, the chaos starts and everybody gets involved. And it's hard for that student to kind of de-escalate and get back to calm so that you can get to the problem solving. The other thing that I notice is we tend to get into power struggles. This causes these huge kind of escalations in the classroom at the high school level especially. Students act out and it's like it's a, it's, it's about me. You know, they're, they're, they're disrupting my class and it's disrespectful to me. Again, Q-tip, quit taking it personally. And think about it. For all of us, if somebody comes back at us, I'm having a hard time and I lash out or I, I say something or if somebody comes back at me, then what do I do? I have to ramp up. I have to escalate. And that's exactly what happens with our students. They escalate. And all of a sudden, it becomes a power struggle. Well, nobody wins in a power struggle. It just becomes a bigger fight. It becomes harder to, to get to calm. And it get, makes it so that we cannot find a solution. We can't problem solve. So instead, when you walked over to the student and you don't make a big scene and you stay calm, all of a sudden, you can now work together. We're not adversaries, but we are working as a, we're as a team, and we can do it. So I said before I'd get back to, to what I do when a kid gets in trouble in my class. Uh, if I do have to send a kid out and they get in school, uh, most of my kids will tell you they know that I'm going to get them out. Now, I can't get them out for all the classes, but I make sure that a student knows that I want them in my room, and I tell them that. Yeah, I see you got in school. I got, the, I got the paperwork. I got the email that I have to send work for you. Well, I'm going to do my best to get you back because I want you in my room. You've already missed time for whatever that reason is, and we'll discuss that later. But for right now, I want you in the room so that I know you're safe and I know you're not missing anymore because I know if you're in my room, you're going to be doing my work. And that's more important to me. You are more important to me than some arbitrary punishment. I want you here. What I have found is when I do this, I don't get repeat offenders. I don't get students going back to end school. I don't get kids skipping my class because they know they're not going to get that free pass. So for those of them that want the free pass, they know they're not going to get it from me because they're going to have to come down and be accountable to me and to their classmates as to why they weren't in school. They're also, I want them to know that I want them here. You know, so we talk about it. You know, why'd you skip? What happened? And usually it's something silly. A lot of times it's something silly. But on those few occasions when it's not, it gives us that opportunity to learn from each other and to build kind of a, a better relationship so that, you know, they know they can trust me to tell me, hey, I'm having a hard time with so-and-so in the class or, you know, I didn't have my work done so I felt I didn't want to come to class because I didn't want to disappoint you or my group members or whatever. But they feel that they can now share that with me. And once they share that, now we've unburdened them with that stress, that anxiety they have for that reason for not being here. And we can say, okay, well, we can fix that. We can work on that. Let's don't let that happen again. There's no reason for you to miss my class just because of this, that, or the other because we can fix, find a problem. If you come to me, 
we can fix this. The other problem with this escalating system of punishments that we have, uh, they only go so far. At some point, you run out of punishments that are effective. Uh, what do you do? The first time you get in trouble, you might get after-school detention or lunch detention. The next offense, well, they, they move it up to scale, and it might be in-school restriction. Next is suspension. Next is, you know, and in rare cases, expulsion. Okay, then what do you go from there? None of those things actually help the student change a behavior. For most students, that's just going to, they're going to go up that scale until they reach the end, and then they'll go, okay, now what? What are you going to do to me? There's nothing left. What else is there? So it, it doesn't teach them any skill. That's the biggest thing about conscious discipline is we want to teach skills. This is not a program where it's like we're just going to sit here. And I think this is where upper-level teachers really get caught on this is they think, well, we're just going to let the kids get away with anything. It's all this coddling and touchy-feely. And actually it's not. It's better than that. It's we're teaching kids how to do for themselves. We're teaching them how to do this stuff so I don't have to. So it might come across as you're, you're holding their hand or you're coddling and you're, no, what you're doing is you're helping them build a skill. You're helping them to figure out how to calm so that they can then problem solve. And you're teaching them that they're part of a community so they know what that feels like. So they have empathy for others and they know how to treat each other. That's the beauty of it. And when you do all of those things, you put it all together, now you're creating a sense of community where you don't need to build in punishments, these arbitrary punishments that don't work. You're building a community where we are all going to agree this is how we should treat each other. And we're going to do that. We're going to treat each other this way. And if we don't, well, there are natural consequences. If you treat people poorly in the class, the natural consequence is people aren't going to want to be around you or they're not going to want to work with you. And they're going to let you know that, and they're going to let you know why, so that you can correct that behavior because we all want to feel like we're part of this. And you teach the kids. It's not just, I don't like you, I hate you, go away. It's, I don't like what, what you're doing. I don't like your behavior. It's not you. It's the behavior right now so that students can correct that behavior. Teachers, could, we do the same thing. That's how we model it. We model that in our classroom. We don't say, oh, yeah, I don't like that kid. No, or I don't like you today. You're not being you're not being nice. No, we say, hmm, that behavior, that what you're doing, the way you talk to that other student, that wasn't very helpful. That was hurtful. Well, I think what you really meant to say was you wanted more help. You think they should be helping you more. So you teach them in how you give your feedback. You teach them in how you interact with each other, with, with the class, and even with your colleagues. This is how you treat people, and by doing that. You kind of you set the model. And once you do that enough, again, what we're doing is we're building life skills. That's what school's supposed to be. It's not just about content, but it's about the life skill. So what we're doing is we're building a life skill. We're teaching them how to calm, how to consider others, how to problem solve together, and how we should interact with one another in a community without this idea of punishment. So how do we do all this? Well, we shift our model. We shift our model away from punishments and we go to natural consequences or logical consequences and problem solving. And you would say, well, how do we do that? Well, it's not that hard. Think about this. 
when we take students who are already marginalized, these people who are acting out because they're not able to manage or regulate their behaviors, or because they, they don't feel like they fit in, and we further push them to the fringes, we're not helping them, and we're really not helping ourselves as a community. These are the students that go off and fall deeper into mental health issues. These are the students that have problems and act out and sometimes lash out in really big ways. So instead of marginalizing and pushing students further away by separating them, putting them in in-school or det detention or making them leave the room, instead we need to work on getting them more integrated into the society, into the community, making them feel like they're a part of it, really working as an administration, as a staff, and as a classroom to make these students feel like they are part of something. And you don't do that by excluding them or pushing them out. You do it by including them, making them part of the process and letting them, making them feel valued, giving them value. Well, you know what? Ha letting them feel their own value and, and recognize their value because every one of our students has value. Some of them just can't see it yet because of whatever reason, they don't feel it or they don't see it. And we got to teach them that you are valuable and we can do that, but we need to do it with you here and we want you here with us. So all these parts of conscious discipline come together. The, the, building, the building of relationship and connection, the, the, the sense of empathy, everything comes together. All these powers come together and that's where you get to your consequences because once you have gotten all the other skills, all these other powers, this positive intent, and you can do all of those things in your classroom and you can model that with your kids, then the consequences come natural. It's because they, they get it. It makes sense to them. And honestly, I think the biggest thing when it comes to this idea of punishment and consequences is students want to know why. They want to be treated, they want to feel like they're being treated fairly. Well, if you've set the stage and you've done this entire program and you have done all these pieces and created the community, because that's what this is. You're creating a community. If you've created that environment, then when the consequences come, it's not something that an authoritarian or a teacher or an administrator is doing to them. It's just something that happens because of an action, something that they did, a behavior that they did, and they get it. They know it, and they accept it. Therefore, there's no power struggle. It's not an us-against-them situation. It's not a scenario where I'm doing this to you arbitrarily, and I don't know why this isn't fair. It's a, oh, yeah, I did this. I knew what the consequence was going to be because we've already laid that out. Okay, yeah, I'll do it better next time. And you work through them with that. You work with them through it so that they get it. And that is where the consequences come in and how it really isn't a problem once you've got this program set up. Thank you, Steve. I love how you set that up to, in short, define punishments as something that we do to people, whereas consequences is something we learn from. Excellent uh, way to frame it. So what's Becky up to? Well, speaking of Steve Hummer, Steve and myself had this idea about five, maybe six years ago of a new superhero. And this superhero's name is Booger Bear. We wanted to address 
the situation of nose blowing, nose picking, and snot running everywhere. So we sat around, and I know y'all think we sat around drinking all night and came up with this notion, but it was not the case. Um, so we now have a prototype of Booger Bear, the germ-blasting superhero, and a book that's ready to go to print. So I'm up to writing Booger Bear books and, you know, kind of up to my knees and snot, so to say. And uh, I'm excited that Steve and I are working on this and I hope you enjoy Booger Bear when he comes out next year. So what's the celebration we have right now? Well, the 10-session e-course has been approved as a statewide trainer by the North Carolina Division of Child Development and Early Education. That is exciting. So uh, congratulations, North Carolina. Until next time, as always, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.